Welcome to the teaching ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Santa Maria, California. Join our pastors as they share biblical principles of God's transforming grace so that you may learn God's word in order to live God's way. Hey, good morning, Grace. Let's open our Bibles. We are back in the book of Philippians. I hope you enjoyed our our study in Luke. It was good for my soul to be there. So we're continuing our series out of Philippians, which I've titled Joy Unleashed, and we're going to look at that specifically a little more today. Philippians chapter 2, let's pray as we begin. Father, you are the glorious God, and we worship you this morning, fallen, sinful people who have been saved by your glorious grace, and we pray that you would get glory through our messed up lives as we Endeavor to live by faith in the gospel message. God, you are infinitely glorious, God. And we don't even fully understand how awesome and incredible you are. But we've tasted that the Lord is good. And so we say that you are the great God. May all glory and honor be given to your name, God. And we come humbly this morning saying, we need your word desperately, God. So would you make us a people who love your word and value it more than all the silver and gold in the world, that your word, Father, would become to us even now as we open it sweeter than honey is to our lips. Help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Today we're going to be discussing uh, what I like to call gospel rehearsal. Uh, We're going to be reminded again that we need to learn to rehearse the truths of the gospel message. If you remember from about five weeks ago when we we closed out Philippians 1, our big idea was that we sync our lives up with the gospel when we preach the gospel to ourselves. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. How do we rehearse the gospel? How does a disciple preach the gospel to him or herself? We do it when we take God's word and we read it and we meditate upon it and we memorize it and then we speak it to ourselves and we remind it of its truths and we we make our lives and our thoughts submit to the authority of God's sovereign word. So that's what I think Paul is wanting of the Philippian church in chapter 2 because he he wants him to have the same mind, he says. So here's our big idea for today. Joy is unleashed in a church community when disciples renew their minds and renew their affections. Joy will be unleashed in this church when we as a church begin to renew our minds with God's word and renew our affections for one another. And that's what Paul's going to show us today. Look at verse 1 and 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind... Having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. You see the mind there two times. You see the affections. He's just having the same love, being in full accord. So that's the point that Paul is trying to get across to the Philippians. They need to be renewing their minds and renewing their affections for one another and ultimately their affections for God. But before we dive in here to these verses, let's kind of back up to to chapter 1 that we saw several weeks ago. We saw in verses 27 through 30, Paul was reminding the Philippian church that their citizenship was in heaven. 
He said, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel or let the gospel shape you in the way that you live. He was telling them to sync their lives up with the gospel message. And then Paul said in verse 27, he said, standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. If you remember from five weeks ago, I argued that verse 27 is better translated as an objective genitive in the Greek. Now, I know that means nothing to you, okay? There are several ways to, to translate this phrase here, and I take it as an objective genitive, translating it this way, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. The object of the faith is the gospel, having faith in the gospel. And I argued that Paul was telling the Philippian church they needed to fight side by side with one another to believe the gospel message so that when one Philippian church member says to another, I don't feel justified and blameless in the Lord's eyes, that other Philippian believer would come along and say, no, we know the scripture. We need to fight for faith in the gospel message. So Paul was wanting the Philippian church to renew their minds, to have these gospel thoughts, to rehearse the gospel in their mind and to review the gospel message. And it starts for any disciple in the way that we think. If we're to live a life by our actions and our thoughts and our motives, our deeds, as gospel citizens, it must begin with the way that we think. The way we think will determine how we live. We see this in a key word that Paul uses in the book of Philippians. He uses this Greek word, phreneo, 26 times it's used in the New Testament, 23 times by Paul. 10 of the times that Paul uses it, he uses it here in, uh, 10 of the 23 he uses it here in Philippians. We're going to see it two times in today's passage. This word for neo means to think a given way and then to act upon it. It's not merely just thinking something in your head. It's thinking a given way and then acting upon it. See, as believers, the way we think is intimately related to the way that we live. As we believe, so will we behave. And that's what Paul is saying here. He wants him to think a certain way and then be moved to action. See, our thinking and our behavior aren't two separate events or things that happen. They're related. They go together. Our actions flow directly out of the way that we think. So our thinking is not merely an activity of the mind. Our thinking is a movement of the will. It means right thinking leads to right living. Gospel thinking leads to gospel living. And we saw that in verse 27 when Paul said, fight for faith in the gospel. We must keep believing in the gospel. When Satan comes to you and says, I can't believe you said that or thought that or did that, or I can't believe the motive that was driving you, you preach the gospel to yourself when he tries to condemn you and you say, no, Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You preach the gospel to, your, to yourself when you don't feel forgiven and you say that God's word says in 1 John 1, 9, that when I confess my sins, he is faithful 
and just to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. When you feel dirty because of your sin and you think that you cannot come into God's presence, you preach Hebrews 4.16 to yourself that says we can draw near with boldness to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy in time of need. That's what it means to preach the gospel to yourself. That's what it means to rehearse the gospel. That's what it means to review the gospel. And that's how you renew your mind. All right, now we're ready to move into chapter two. In verse one, Paul says, so if there is linking verses 27 and 30 with chapter two, you don't see it in in the English, but in the Greek, it's if, 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 if. Paul is saying this, if there is any encouragement in Christ, he's posing that question to the Philippians and I'm posing it to you now. If there is any encouragement in Christ, has anyone here ever experienced encouragement through God's word or through other people? Anyone experienced encouragement in the church body? Has anyone had any comfort from love? Has God comforted you with his love? The hope and the promises in his word or his love uh, through other people? Has anyone experienced participation in the Spirit? It's, it's the word fellowship. Have any of you experienced real fellowship with other believers here? You've participated in the Spirit's work in your life. Or has anyone experienced affection and sympathy? Have you, have you ever felt truly cared for by other people here? Or have you truly cared for someone? It's interesting, the word there, affection, is we saw it in chapter 1 earlier. It's the word for the gut or the bowels. Paul is saying, do you you feel for people in your gut? Do you truly care for them? Has anyone ever experienced any of these four things? Paul's posing that to the Philippians. He's saying, if, if encouragement, if comfort, if participation, if affection and sympathy, then he says, complete my joy by having the same mind, same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul is saying, if the gospel has been at work in your life, then I want you to complete my joy by having the same mind, thinking the same thoughts, having the same love, being united and have one accord. Paul wants his joy to be maximized and unleashed. And he says, you Philippians can do that for me. When you live this way. Now we saw in chapter 1 verse 25. Paul already said that he's working for their progress. And joy in the faith. Paul says you know what. To live is Christ. And for me that means living for you. So that your joy is unleashed. And now Paul is turning back on the Philippians. And he's saying. Will you live in such a way. That my joy gets unleashed. Actually the word here for complete my joy. Is that Greek word we saw in chapter 1 verse 9. Where Paul said I want your love to overflow the set boundaries. And spill out all over the place. Paul is saying you Philippians. When you have the same mind and think the same way. And there's unity and there's harmony. He says you will actually cause my joy to spill out everywhere. My joy will be unleashed Paul is saying. When you are thinking the same thoughts. When you are rehearsing the gospel. And it's the the same for us here at Grace. If we begin rehearsing the gospel, thinking the same way, having the same love and having harmony and unity, it will mean joy for the leadership here. That's why in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. And that's what the elders and the pastors do here. We're watching over your souls. But the writer of Hebrews says this, When you obey and submit to them, they'll keep watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. So the pastors, 
And the elders are going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account one day. How did we watch over your souls? Did we shepherd you? Did we care for you? But then he says, let them, the leaders, do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So what he's saying is that when the leadership is like, oh, are you kidding? Really? I mean, it's no joy for us and it doesn't benefit you, does it? But when the church submits to the elders and the pastors and submits to them, there's joy for everyone. The elders are serving with joy. The pastors are serving with joy. And it benefits you. It's advantageous to you to submit to the leadership of the church. Everyone gets joy. Everyone wins and God gets glory. And Paul is telling the Philippians here, when you have the same mind and you think the same way and you rehearse the gospel and you have gospel thoughts and there's harmony and unity in the church, Paul says, my joy is going to be unleashed. And he's in prison on death row. So it's a pretty significant thing that a church has joy and the church is thinking and rehearsing the gospel. If a man on death row, this is what's on his heart. I may get my head chopped off later this afternoon, but as I'm starting chapter 2, and I don't know if I'll even get to chapter 4, I'm telling you to rehearse the gospel because when you rehearse the gospel as a church body, my joy is going to be unleashed, even if my head is unleashed from my body later this afternoon. Joy is a priority for Paul. Joy is unleashed in a church community when disciples renew their minds and renew their affections. All right, let's look again at verse two. We'll see how the Philippians could unleash Paul's joy. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. First, he talks about renewing the mind. We see it, it's kind of bookended there. Being of the same mind and uh, of one mind. He's talking about them renewing their mind. It's that Greek word for neo, which means to think a given way and then to act upon that. Paul is telling them what he would have told the Roman church, to renew their minds. But see, it's closely related with our unity, the way we renew our minds. We must think differently. Imagine, if you, if you have an issue with somebody at this church, what determines your behavior towards them? The way you think about them. Oh, that's that person that gets on my nerves. So when you see them, you're going to avoid them, you're going to talk about them. But what if you begin to renew your mind and say, they get on my nerves, but Christ purchased them with his blood. And they're my brother or my sister in Christ, no matter what has happened, no matter how they've offended me. And when you renew your mind and say, I can't harbor bitterness, I can't withhold forgiveness. So you renew your mind and then that begins to change how you relate to that person. So the thinking is related to the acting. And Paul is saying, I want you to have the same mind. But he also talks about their affections, kind of sandwiched in between those two phrases. In verse two, we see he says, having the same love and being in full accord. He wants... Christ's love to be evident upon them. The the phrase there, be in full accord, is literally like soul. He says, I want you to have the same souls. I want you to be, your, your souls to be connected. There's harmony and there's unity. So he's focusing on their mind, saying, I want you to renew your minds and I want you to renew your affections. And then there'll be unity. And then Paul says, and then my joy will be unleashed. Joy is unleashed in a church community. 
when disciples renew their minds and they renew their affections. Now, here's the real practical portion of the sermon. Now we're moving in the how-to. How do disciples rehearse the gospel so that we become like-minded? How do we renew our minds? How do we renew our affections? If joy will be unleashed here at Grace, when we renew our minds and when we renew our affections, then how in the world do we do it? That's the million-dollar question. And Paul has the answer for you, and I have the answer for you. We do it with the Word of God. That's as simple. You thought it was going to be something really big, didn't you? I'm not that smart. You do it with God's word. You renew your mind with God's word, and you renew your affections for other believers with God's word. And ultimately, you renew your mind and your affections so that you renew your affections for the God who has saved you. Now, here's the how-to, okay? Gospel rehearsal produces like-mindedness in disciples when we are consuming God's word. When we rehearse the gospel with scripture, then joy will be unleashed in here. Let me give you three ways today to use scripture to renew your mind and to renew your affections, okay? My prayer for us as we move into 2012 is that we would literally all have the same minds, We'd all be focusing upon the same scriptures as we go through the new year. First, though, the way you renew your mind is you have to read God's word. Listen, you will never grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ if you never open his word and read it. You won't. You need to have your mind renewed by God's word. Now, if you can't read or you struggle to read, get scripture on CD. I'm okay with that. But is scripture coming into your mind and into your heart and into your life? So I'm going to propose to you that you get a Bible reading plan for 2012. It's not too late. The day's not over. You can start today. Okay. I'm going to put it up later on the Grace Santa Maria Facebook page. I'm going to put it on my Facebook page. I'm going to put it on my blog. I'm going to put a link to another blog where a man has listed, I don't know, eight or nine different Bible reading plans for the year. You find the one that works for you, okay? And if you want to know about my plan, I'll tell you my plan. Mine's a radical plan. I want to read through the Bible four times this year. What I've done is taken this Bible here, taken the number of pages, divided it by 90 days. And so if I read around 11 pages of my Bible a day, I can read through the Bible in three months and I can do it four times a year. That means by the time I'm 80, if I do this, I will have read through the Bible the last 40 years of my life 160 times. So if you want to get crazy with that, you can. If you want another crazy reading plan, let me give one to you. It's by a man named Grant Horner. Maybe some of you have heard of it teaches at the Master's College. This is what he said as he was interviewing for a position at Master's College. I think he's a philosophy teacher. He wasn't in the Bible department, I don't believe. This is what he says. When I was flown out by Master's for a three-day interview slash theological grilling process, the culmination was, of course, being ushered in to Dr. John MacArthur's private study, which is where he asked me this one question. Can I see your Bible? I thought he would be horrified because it looked like it had been through a typhoon. It looked unloved and neglected, something from a dumpster. It was unbound with stringy mess and paper debris hanging out. I was so embarrassed. I thought he would chastise me and recommend I get a new study Bible if I was serious about the word. No doubt which study Bible he would recommend. He flipped through it and handed it to his wife and said, If your Bible is falling apart, you probably aren't. I was basically hired on the spot. 
Now, his reading plan has you reading out of 10 different chapters of the Bible every day, 10 different portions. And there's a system you can cut out and get bookmarks. My wife did it for a period. She loved it. He said he knows the Bible. Everyone I've heard have done this. They said they've never understood the Bible this way. You're not, this, this is one of the reasons he does this. He doesn't want you to get bogged down in Leviticus as you're reading it straight through. Some of us get bogged down in Leviticus. Some of us don't. I don't, but some of us do. Some of us get bogged down in 2 Chronicles. So here's a way for you to read a chapter out of 2 Chronicles, and then you're maybe reading a chapter out of Philippians and a chapter out of here and a chapter out of there. If you want to use his system, go for it. I want you to find a Bible reading system this year. It's my prayer for grace that we would have the same mind this year and it would be God's word coming into our mind. So check that later this afternoon. The second way that you can renew your mind, renew your affections for other people is by meditation, meditating on God's word. Joshua 1.8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Psalm 1.2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. What does it mean to meditate on God's word? Does it mean to sit around and go, mm. it doesn't mean that at all. The Hebrew word in both of these uh, verses is the Hebrew word hagah, which has the idea of vocalizing or muttering or murmuring under your breath. It means to vocalize what you are preoccupied with. It means that what's in your mind begins to come out of your mouth. That's why Joshua says, this book of the law shall not depart out of your what? Mouth, because you will meditate on it day and night. When you are meditating on God's word, According to the Hebrew word Haggah, it comes out of your mouth. Haggah is used in Isaiah 38, 14 with reference to a dove cooing. I won't coo like a dove for you, a dove for you this morning. Like a lion growling over its prey, Isaiah 31, 4. Imagine a, a lion growling over its prey. You, kinda, you hear it under. Under his breath, there's this low tone. It's used in Isaiah 16, 7 of the people muttering for raisin cakes. They were so hungry. Food was occupying their mind that it began to come out of their mouths. Our children do this, don't they? I'm hungry. They're muttering. The way I think of it is like this. You remember that, maybe you watched it last week, A Christmas Story. You remember the story with Ralphie and his Red Rider, BB Gun, You'll Shoot the Eye Out. What does the dad do throughout the movie? He meditates according to the Hebrew word Haggah. Now, what he says isn't scripture, because we, we know Ralphie tells us it was like a tapestry of profanity that like hung over like Lake Michigan or something, he says in there. So what his actual words, but he does meditation, because what happens when the furnace keeps going out? What happens when the Bumpus's dogs run through and destroy his Christmas turkey? You just hear him under his breath talking. That's the Hebrew word, Hagah, which means to meditate. It means what's in your mind begins to come out of your mouth. So you start to do something like this, you know, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And as you're going throughout your day, you're meditating, and people think you're crazy because you're talking to yourself, but you're meditating. What is in your mind begins to come out of your mouth. That is preaching the gospel to yourself. That is gospel rehearsal the psalmist does it in psalm 42 when he's depressed and martin lloyd jones says this in his book spiritual depression 
This is how the psalmist preached the gospel to himself. Listen to what he says. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this, that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. Now, this man's treatment in Psalm 42 was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. And he asks the question, Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. Do you know what I mean? If you do not, you have but little experience. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand and you have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn on yourself, upbraid yourself, condemn yourself, exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope thou in God, which is what the psalmist says. The psalmist says, why are you downcast? Hope in God instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with this man, I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance who is also the health of my countenance and my God. See, what Martin Lloyd-Jones was saying is that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves because you know the thoughts. Anybody have the thoughts there when you wake up in the morning? Anybody roll over in the middle of the night and you're stressed about something and all of a sudden there's that thought and now you can't go back to sleep? Martin Lloyd-Jones is just saying we should do what the psalmist did, which is what Paul is telling the Philippians to do, which is to rehearse the gospel, to meditate on God's word, to mutter, and then begin speaking God's word to ourselves, so that when we do feel condemned, we just say out loud, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, and by God's grace I am in Christ Jesus, therefore I am not under your condemnation, Satan. That's how you preach the gospel to yourself. That's how you rehearse the gospel. And that's how you meditate. You begin thinking about Romans 8.1. You think about it, but then it comes out of your mouth. Third way, we read God's word, we meditate, mutter, speak out loud God's word. The third thing to do is to memorize God's word. Some of you are like, oh, I don't like that word because memorization is tough. I know it's tough, but let's just take a moment here in the sermon. I want you to fill in the blank, if you would, and do it kind of loud so I know you're listening. You finish the phrases for me. May the force... Here's a story of a lovely lady who was... Bringing up three very lovely girls. Here's an old fast food commercial from the 80s. Where's the... How about this one from a movie with, I think, Tom Cruise. I can't remember who's in it. Show me the... Okay. And here's one. Sometimes you want to go where everybody knows your name. See, you guys are good at memorization, aren't you? 
I tricked you. Because those of you who would say, I can't memorize, I'm like, well, how many of those did you answer? Okay. I understand. It, it can be hard to memorize. Okay. Seriously, some people struggle with this. I get that. But most of us are just lazy. Okay? Right? So if you struggle with memorization, I get it. But most of us just think we struggle or we're just lazy or don't care. Okay? But let me ask you something. And you have to promise to be honest. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to answer. But I want you to answer and think about your answer. Okay? What if today I said to you, for every Bible verse that you memorize between now and next Sunday, I will give you $1,000. How many of you, don't answer. You can though. We're free in the gospel to answer. How many of you would answer 10, 11, uh, uh, memorize 10, 11, 12 verses? Probably a lot of us, right? I posed that question a little over three and a half years ago to Country Bible Church in Kaufman, Texas, where I was pastoring. And that day, I started a program called the Fighter Verses, which come from children desiring God and desiring God. Um, And we we used to put them in the bulletin every week. And that day, I was preaching on Colossians 3.16, which says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Posed that question and said, today, we're going to start memorizing the Bible together. And it's going to be in your bulletin every single week. And it was on the, the website, everything. And I posed that to them. Just They were just Bible verses that would come in your bulletin. It's different ones. I said, I want us to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And so we just started putting Bible verses every week in there. And, and I'd cut them out and put them on my desk. I memorized some. Some I just read and prayed. And I said, I want us to memorize. I want us to read. I want us to meditate. I want us to think. I want us to pray this, this verse for our church body all week long. Now, fast forward to the end of this summer after I've taken this position here and I'm waiting a month to leave, I announced I'd be leaving Country Bible Church and coming here to Grace. I get a call from a guy in our church and he says, can we meet for coffee? So we met at Starbucks about six in the morning. It wasn't unusual. The last month of my time in Texas, I was meeting with people all the time. People wanted to see me before I left. Good friends. This guy said, I want to meet with you. And he said, I'm at Starbucks every morning about 530. Why don't you come? And I'd seen him there numerous times. I was like, oh yeah, you're there. I'll be there. I show up, I had no idea what awaited me. Now, I consider this man a dear friend, uh, close to Heather and I. We weren't super close that we hung out all the time, but there was a connection with our family and their family. This family loved us. He would buy me Starbucks gift cards and, and coffee every year. He'd show up with bags of coffee. And Heather and, and his wife, Lisa, had a connection, and they, they had interests. And, and so we just had this connection with this family. We weren't super great, deep friends But I show up, I had no idea what was going to happen. I sit down outside, and he starts weeping. He starts weeping uncontrollably. I don't know what's happening. And then he said to me, I'm just kind of paraphrasing what he said. He said, when I got the letter in the mail that you were leaving Country Bible Church and going out to Grace in Santa Maria, he said it felt like a kick in the gut. And he said, "I, I couldn't think, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't breathe. He said, I felt like I was losing a good friend, but he said, I knew that we weren't super close. So he said, you know, I knew it wasn't that our friendship was so deep. He said, I just couldn't put my finger on it. He said, I've got to tell Lisa, I don't know why I feel this way. He's just weeping. He said, I got the letter and was just weeping. It was like a kick in the gut. And then he said, it dawned on me. Why am I feeling this way when we weren't super close? And he said, because I felt like I was losing 
God's word. He said, how am I going to get God's word? And I was a little confused because I thought, well, you'll get another pastor and and he'll preach and you'll get God's word. And then he proceeded to pull out these two stacks of paper that are clipped together. Here's a picture of it. I took a picture of it because I was so moved. This is the bottom portion. This is like half of our uh, bulletin there. And these are full of fighter verses that he had clipped off. And he told me, Three and a half, over three and a half years ago, you challenged us to memorize these verses. And he says, I have memorized every single one of them. I'd given up. I didn't think anybody did it. I put them in the bulletin every week thinking, I'll pray this verse. Sometimes I'll memorize it. He would occasionally call and say, I miss church. What's the fighter verse? I didn't think anybody else was doing it. I'd kind of given up and was frankly kind of depressed about it because I thought nobody's doing this thing that I wanted us to do, including myself. This guy pulls out. 350 of these verses that he has clipped together. In fact, many times the fighter verse is more than one verse, so he has memorized over 400 verses. This man, it's not like he works part-time and has nothing to do. He's an attorney. He has four kids, and one of his children is a special needs child. This man is busy. That's why he's at Starbucks 5.30 in the morning, because he's an attorney. And yet this man says, God's word is so important to me that I'm going to memorize it. And he said his life was changed. He said, I wake up in the morning and I just start going through my fighter verses. And he said, it takes me several hours a day to recite them. And he said, my life is night and day different. He said, whereas I used to want to listen to the news at 6 a.m. on the radio or at a certain time to hear the, he said, I don't even, or listen to classic rock or whatever. He said, in the car, my desire isn't even to turn the radio on anymore. He says, I just sit there and I I recite God's word because it's so precious to me. And he said, this is what he said that struck me. He said, my thoughts naturally drift to God's word now. So this is where my thoughts go now. He's got 400 of these verses up in his brain, and he says, my thoughts naturally drift to one of these verses. And he says, I can just memorize. He said, I've got them numbered. He said, I just memorize them one after another. And he, said, and he quoted the very first verse that he used out of Deuteronomy. He says, I started with that Deuteronomy. And he said, I just started citing that Deuteronomy verse. And he said, I'm all over the place. And he, said, and he, and he wept, really, as he's telling me this, for three hours. Just He would cry stop, finish telling me, cry, stop. And he said, I just felt like when you're leaving that I was going to lose God's word. He said, that's why I'm crying. That's why I'm grieving. Not because you're a great friend, but because I feel like God's word is just slipping away from me. He listens to the sermons on podcasts now, and my greatest joy every Monday morning is now I text him a fighter verse so he can keep going. And I've done it since... I left. It's the greatest joy to get that reminder on my phone every morning. Text Scott, fighter verse. He made me love God's word on a deeper level than I ever have. He's one of my heroes now because he loves God and he loves God's word. And I want that for you, Grace. And I want that for me. I want 2012 to be the beginning of a of our focus as a church on God's word, of reading it and meditating on it and muttering it and speaking it and memorizing it so our lives begin to change. And so today we're starting the fighter verses as a church. They're right there. They'll be on your sermon notes page every morning. 
You can, you can cut it off, stick it on your bathroom mirror. You can put it on the dashboard of your car. You can put it on your computer screen. You can carry it in your pocket. Whatever you want to do, I want you to take the verses that appear in your bulletin every week and begin to memorize it so that three and a half years from now, we're like Scott and we say, man, if they took God's word away from me, I would just weep and I would just cry. And you know what? Because of our culture today, guess what? There's an app for it. Isn't that great? There's an app for it. And it's so easy. I mean, I've got right here on my screen lock as my wallpaper. There's the fighter verse that's starting today. Isn't that amazing? Every single time I look down at my phone to see the time or something, there's God's word staring at me. It's amazing. Here's what's so great about the fighter verse app, okay? It's got fill in the blank where you can go into, into this Get inside there and fill in the blank as you start to answer and you struggle with the word and you don't know it or you say it and you click it and you're like, yes, and it's got this whole system where you can get on this memorization plan. It will remind you daily or weekly. It's just this incredible. God's word is just right here with technology. There's several translations. We're going to be using the English Standard Version, but, and that's what's going to appear in the bulletin, but the NIV is there, the ESV, King James Version, New American Standard, and there's a Spanish one as well. There's a listening option. You can listen to that verse, and it just keeps playing in a loop until you hit pause. It just keeps going over and over again. You got God's Word coming through your phone to you. It's got review options. It's got extended memory verses. If you want to memorize more verses beside this, there are five one-year-long sets on here. And today, we're going to be starting set two for 2012. Okay, so if you get on the program, it's set two for 2012. This is what's so... This is one of those sovereignty moments. Guess what our first verse is today? You can see it in your bulletin there. Isaiah 48, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Can you imagine if we begin praying this as a church? Oh God, would you make grace understand that that the the grass withers and the flower fades. Everything is going to burn up around here, God. Would you make grace understand that your word stands forever, that your word is eternal in the heavens? Would you help them to love your word, this word that cannot be moved and cannot be changed and cannot be thwarted? God, would you begin to change grace? That's what I, I hope for us, that we begin praying this verse for each other. Such an appropriate verse to begin with. So let's literally, as we move into 2012 into the future, let's literally have the same mind. Let's all be thinking the same verse, praying the same. Can you imagine if we all start praying the same verse for each other? What kind of growth is going to happen in our lives? How are we going to be changed? If we all start praying the exact same verse, we all start literally having the same mind. We don't even know what's going to happen. But I think God's going to come to us and he's going to transform us and he's going to change us. And then we'll love God more. We'll love each other more because we're renewing our mind and we're renewing our affections. And then our joy gets unleashed because joy is unleashed in a church community when disciples begin to renew their minds and renew their affections. And we do that through God's word. So will you join me this year in stirring up a love affair with God's word? Would you join me in stirring up this love and this passion in your heart for this book that you can have right here or that you can even have on your phone? Would you join in praying this fighter verse for you 
and this church and your children and the singles and the older folks in this church and the younger folks and the babies in the nursery, would you begin praying this verse for grace so that we renew our minds and renew our affections and then our joy is unleashed? My prayer for us for 2012 is that we would just fall in love with God's word again. And fall in love with God. That we would be like the psalmist in Psalm 119.72. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We'd be like the psalmist in Psalm 19. Listen to this like love song he writes about God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, cash, money, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward." Begin to think God's word, memorize it, read it. There's great reward in that. Psalm 119, which is an entire psalm, love song to God's word. 103 says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And then Jeremiah 15, 16, Jeremiah gets what God's word and he says, your words were found and I ate them and they became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. Psalm 119, verse 97 Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. I'm praying that this will be a pivotal day in the life of this church, that we look back four years, 10 years, 20 years, and we say, it was January 1st, 2012, when I fell in love with God's word all over again, and it began to change me. My prayer is that you will be like Scott three months from now, and say, my, my thoughts are naturally beginning to drift to God's word. And I love it so much. Will you join me? Let's pray. Father, we recognize that apart from your grace, we would never be able to, to even begin reading your word, meditating upon your word and memorizing your word. And God, I just ask that you would help us. Give us your grace. Oh God, help us to love your word, to be transformed by it to meditate upon it, to, to mutter it, let it come off our lips throughout the day, God. I pray that we would rehearse the gospel, and we would preach the gospel to ourselves, God, and that you would transform us for your glory. We begin renewing our minds and renewing our affections for one another so that our joy in you is unleashed. Would you do it by your spirit for your glory, I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Our hope is that today's message empowers you by God's grace to live God's way. For more information, visit us online at gracebath.net.